Well, we start something new today. We're in a parentheses kind of here in our study. Uh, we are verse by verse, chapter by chapter, making our way through the gospel account of Matthew. But for the next four weeks, we'll have a little pause, a little parentheses to examine and re-examine and re-establish our identity as a church. Um, we're going to do something that I think is meaningful to us. If it's not annually, it's some kind of uh, regular habit that we come back to who we are and why we're here and why we do what we do. This is meaningful for you. It's meaningful for me and for our pastoral team as uh, servant leaders, as those who provide direction and serve from a directional standpoint, responsible before the Lord. It's critical that we keep in front of us who we are and why it is that we do what we do. Now, my goals for this mini-series, which we did back in the fall of 2008, was the last time we did something similar to this, my goals do not include self-definition of our church. In other words, my goals and our goals as a leadership, as we've prayed through this and planned for this, do not include some kind of creativity on our part. And if you came hoping that this series on the church was going to be a creative experience full of new strategies and ideals. I am sorry to inform you that here at the outset, you're probably going to be disappointed. Um, we only want to accomplish a refresher, a reminder, or brand new information, maybe to you, of our ancient God-given definition as a church. God has defined who we are at Grace Church of the Valley. God has established what is to be done at Grace Church of the Valley. And for these four weeks, not exhaustively, but I trust thoroughly, we'll examine that definition and those ideals that God has given us. Surely that is our desire, that's our design as a Bible-believing church. To claim to be Bible-believing means we have to be defined by the Bible, and our practices and priorities must also be informed by the Scripture. So, that means no new strategies are coming, no new visions are coming, um, no new, uh, I don't know, slogans are coming. This is not a state of the church address where we have some kind of, at the end we get a new vision. This is simply ancient material being applied in our current context. The goals for this mini-series mean that the Word of God has to continue to be the sole basis for our definition, our priorities, our practices, our identity here at Grace Church of the Valley. In other words, when people ask you, what is it like to be a part of Grace Church of the Valley? You ought to, if not before, you ought to now, after this time in God's Word and these four weeks of study, be able to say, let me take my Bible and show you. Because that's... This is, these are the directives, these are the ideals of what we are as a church family, as a gathering, as a unit. God's Word defines us. God's Word sets our priorities and practices. God's Word creates and establishes our identity. Finally, uh, because of the goals and the means of study for this mini-series on our church and about our church... It means that 2010 will be marked by more accountability as a church family 
than 2009 was. And that, that's a sobering thought to me as a, a shepherd here, as an under-shepherd under our head. It's a sobering reality to know that every time we in, engage ourselves with God's Word, we are accountable for what we have learned from God's Word. Hearers and doers are accountable to the God of the Word for what they learn from the Word of God. And so this year, and that's why we're doing it in January, 2010 will be marked for those of you who are committed to our family here at Grace by more accountability, accountable for exercising your giftedness, pursuing the ideals that God has for us, and living within the identity that He's established for us. So I trust that that sets us up for what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We will not bounce around. We're going to go to one section of Scripture, which is one of the most informative sections about the church. And we're going to allow this letter in portions. We will jump from portion to portion in this letter, but we're going to allow the letter to the Ephesian churches to inform our understanding and our expectations of Grace Church of the valley. So take your Bible, make your way to Ephesians, to the second chapter, and we're going to start our study with this first text from Ephesians chapter 2 who we are and what we're all about. And today I trust that we can answer with some sense of depth and thoroughness who we are. Who is Grace Church? And that's the appropriate way to talk about the church. Some may say, where is Grace Church? And the answer is not, unless it's a Sunday morning at 1030, the answer is not at the Little Theater at Kingsburg High School. That's not where Grace Church is, because Grace Church is not a building or a facility or a location. It's a people. So who we are is a necessary part of our identity and our understanding and expectation of a local church as a, as a picture, as a representation of the universal church of Jesus Christ. This morning, the big idea for our study time from Ephesians chapter 2, the final verses of this powerful chapter, the big idea coming to us is that Grace Church is a gathering of the people of God founded upon the New Testament Word of God and unified around the Son of God. Let me say that again. Grace Church of the Valley since that's how it's always talked about. I love that the whole name is used so often. Grace Church or Grace of the Valley or Grace Church of the Valley, whatever it is that you call it, GCV as I call it often, is a gathering of the people of God founded upon the New Testament Word of God and unified around the Son of God. This, I believe, will become crystal clear to us in Ephesians chapter 2. So to establish that truth claim, let's go to this letter, let's read together from a portion of this letter, and let's allow it to inform our understanding of the church, and in particular, this local assembly gathered here in the Central Valley of California. There are believers and there are churches gathering all over the world today. We're concerned primarily with this one, as it is our Home. It is our family. It's our connection point within the greater and broader church of Jesus Christ. 
this letter, just because we're diving in, we're kind of parachuting into the middle of this letter, which is tricky for us in understanding our Bible. This letter was written from prison, most likely in Rome, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. You're familiar with Paul. Uh, He's written most of the New Testament letters that we have. In fact, if you're in a jam and somebody says, who wrote this book of the Bible? I always counsel you, go with Paul. You have a great chance that you're right. In this case, you would be. Who wrote Ephesians? Paul. When? Somewhere around AD 60 from prison in Rome, uh, where he is incarcerated for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 19, we find the Ephesian church being founded by the Apostle Paul. And 1950 years ago, this letter was penned. It's an amazing miracle of providence that 1950 years after Paul in his prison cell or in his house prison, depending on the circumstances, 1950 years after the fact, this letter comes to you and I in the English language with all the power of the eternal God of heaven. It's alive and it informs us about us and about Grace Church of the Valley. Paul would have never, never imagined that there would be 1950 years of the letter to the Ephesians. Yet in God's kindness, it's preserved for us and it is alive for us and for God's glory. Paul's been building in this letter up to this point since we're kind of diving in in the middle. Paul's been building up the theological grid of the Ephesian church. He's been emphasizing the truths of the gospel, some of the most Rich theological ground that can be covered is found in the first chapter and the beginning of the second chapter of Ephesians. Basically building a contrast for this mostly Gentile church. Building a contrast of where they were and now where they are, spiritually speaking. Who they were, spiritually speaking, and now who they are. Their position has been radically altered by the gospel. And Paul is building that theme through chapter 1 and into the beginning of chapter 2. In chapter 1, he prays that they would embrace their history in the gospel and that it would affect their life as a church. We're going to pick up our reading for the sake of clarity in verse number 11. And we'll read to the end of chapter 2. And we're going to only study the final five verses of chapter two. So pick up your reading. If you have your copy of the Bible in front of you, read along silently as I read out loud, beginning in verse number 11, and know that this is the very word of God. These are the words of God to to Grace Church of the Valley this morning. Therefore, because of what is true about God's grace and about his transformation, therefore, remember That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that is the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. That is, he is 
the peace between warring factions. He is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. That is the Old Testament that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The hostility is between the Gentile and the Jew. There's a great division between the people of God and the nation of Israel and the Gentiles who are not the recipients of the covenant. Christ broke down that hostility. He's the peace between the two factions. He did that through the cross. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near both Jew and Gentile for through him we both Jews and Gentiles have access in one spirit to the father verse 19 and this will begin the portion for our study this morning so then with that backdrop so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All that was true previously has been done away at the cross as the centerpiece of History for these believers at Ephesus and the new has come and the new is the joint force of Jew and Gentile gathered together through the blood of Christ by the work on the cross where he killed the hostility and brought one new man, one new entity, his followers, the church. So in this final section in verses 19 through 22, we find three word pictures that define the church. Uh, The Apostle Paul was a a master wordsmith. He carved words. He painted with words. He used his words to display with utmost clarity truths that are profound and beyond even our full grasp of understanding. And he does so here. Here we'll find three very simple, very familiar pictures that are the definition of who we are. Who is Grace Church of the Valley? Who is it? Who are they? Here's the definition from Paul. Three simple word pictures that give us our definition. Just like at Ephesus, Grace Church of the Valley is defined by the gospel, through the gospel, for the glory of the Christ of the gospel. And here are the pictures of that transforming gospel at work in the church of Jesus Christ. Picture number one. Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of God's kingdom citizens. Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of God's kingdom citizens. So then, at the beginning of verse number 19, connects us back to all that he has said, beginning in verse 11, and then that is connected back to all that he has done at the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, where we find 
the two greatest words in our, our theological history in verse number four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God, and based upon that but God reality for the believers at Ephesus, now the truth was that their identity is established and connected in so much as verse 19 is connected to these great contrasts. The church at Ephesus was a gathering place for God's kingdom citizens. Old positions had been done away with and new positions have been established. Notice what we find in verse number 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Paul here is quite, quite clear. He's pointing us back to what he has already said about their pre-Christ situation. In other words, pre-church situation. In verse number 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That is, before you knew of Christ, you were separated from him, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, 1950 years has created quite a gap in our appreciation of what Paul said in those verses. But what he said in those verses has lost none of its truth. You see, apart from the coming of Christ and the message of the gospel in Christ, you and I who are here, who are not in the bloodline of Abraham, I assume that the vast majority of us this morning are Gentiles, just like the church at Ephesus. And apart from the coming of Jesus Christ, and apart from the redemptive plan of God, we were without hope and without God. There was no access to God apart from His covenant faithfulness to the nation of Israel. Before Christ, there is no hope of citizenship under the King God Himself. None. And these believers at Ephesus were much closer to the situation. They were closer in time and they were closer in proximity to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people who were quick to tell them, you are an unclean Gentile. If I come into your presence and touch you, I have to be cleaned before I can go into the presence of God and His people. I mean, this is the division you were a stranger and an alien. Those are great words. Um, unfortunately, alien has fallen on hard times. Uh, we're thinking mostly sci-fi channel, which I think I've told you before is absolutely off limits in my house. Pastor David has other convictions. You can disciple him later. Okay. Aliens have everything to do with these made up figures with weird heads and very large eyes and whatever the most creative mind can come up with in our Immediate picture. But the idea here is not alien in the sense of from another planet. But at the same time, that's not a far cry from what is originally intended by this word. You have nothing in common with God apart from Christ. And this is what you formerly were. You were an outcast, stranger. You were like you were from another planet from God and his gracious promises of faithfulness. Paul emphasizes that for the sake of emphasizing the second part of verse number 19. 
That's no longer your condition. But, here's the contrast, you are fellow citizens with the saints. You say, who is Grace Church? Grace Church is a gathering of God's kingdom citizens brought into this kingdom, not through bloodline, not through descendants, but brought into this kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who brought peace to the warring factions, who made one new man for his glory's sake. We are a gathering of kingdom citizens, fellow citizens, has within it the sense of camaraderie, arms locked together under the king, serving and and completely committed to in allegiance. This is our new position. If, if we were strangers, if we were the outcast in the land, in relation to God, through Christ, the church is a grouping of fellow citizens with all the saints. Saints are not people who are voted on to become that, as some false religions would teach. Sainthood is very simply all and everyone who is set apart by faith in Jesus Christ and is considered holy by his righteousness being imputed to them. These are holy ones. That's what saint means. Say, well, I don't want to be known as the holy one on my block. I don't want to be known as the holy one in my workplace. Yes, you do. Because your holiness is derived. It is not inherent and it is not earned. It's derived from the imputation, the transfer of holiness uh, from your Messiah to you. Righteousness on your account. This is the characterization, the definition of the church. This gathering of kingdom citizens implies allegiance to and service for the king. So in other words, if we're going to embrace this and Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of of God's kingdom citizens, then that means God has to operate as king here. His word is his decree. We are separated again by our context here from this text. None of us, at least very few of us, have ever called other people in our country comrade because they were our fellow citizen under the regime. None of us that I know of have had a king that we would bow before if any of his procession came through. Most of us have never had the king's decrees read to us in our presence as these individuals in Ephesus would have known well. Would they have known a king? No. Something much worse, an emperor. And their emperor under the Roman Empire, which was at its zenith in this time period, their emperor would have Help them understand in context what Paul says when he says they're fellow citizens with the saints. They are under King Jesus and linked together to all who are under King Jesus. That's our definition. That's our identity. This is who we are. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says our citizenship is in heaven. No longer is God's reign on a People groups specific to a land section as it was in the nation of Israel within the church. Those barriers are broken down. God's reign is from heaven over people of every tribe and tongue and nation. 
gathered together in a local expressions of that body under servant leadership, serving one another, building one another up, and scattering to share the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. This is our definition. Inter-ethnic relationships between all who have been brought to God by Christ. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. There is no longer white skin and some other color of skin. There is no longer ethnic barriers. The gospel demolishes them. That has serious implications for us here at Grace Church of the Valley. Where those distinctions still exist and where they will always exist apart from the distinction shattering gospel of the church of Jesus Christ. So, word picture number one. Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of God's kingdom citizens. Secondly, Grace Church of the Valley, just like Grace Church at Ephesus, is a gathering of God's family members. I mean, Paul here moves his pictures. He goes from a kingly citizenship now to a house, to a family, to something even more intimate and connected. And he goes on in verse number 19 to say, and members of the household of God. So Grace Church of the Valley is not only defined by its citizenship under the King Jesus, but it is also defined by its family connection to the body of Christ and to the family of God. This is not a foreign thought in even this letter. You'll remember back in verse number 5 of chapter 1, it says he predestined us for adoption. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You say, how is it that Grace Church can be defined as the family, the household of God, as a local expression of the universal family of God? How can that be? That can only be because of the adoption accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ that brought us from distant to near. That brought us from enemy to friend. Brought us from alien, stranger, sons, daughters. This is the most familiar word picture used in our New Testament to speak of the church. You know, There's no more common word picture used than what is used when the word brethren or brothers and sisters is used in your Bible. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. I spent four years of my life living in the South. I spent several summers also living in the South. And in the churches in the South, they go whole hog on brothers and sisters. I mean, everybody is brother so-and-so and everybody is sister so-and-so. And it just gets a little, you know, gets a little overwhelming. If you're from down there, I can talk like that if you want. We can, we can get together, have coffee, and I'll call you brother so-and-so. You can call me brother Adam. And they get that from these passages. They get that from this picture, this identity. And that is a valid identification. It is a valid identification to look across the little theater at Grace Church of the Valley and say, that's my brother and that's my sister. How can that possibly be? How could two separate human families have brothers and sisters connected to each other? 
simply because of the powerful work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's moved from that kingdom picture to the home picture, and he's painting the picture of Grace Church of the valley as an extension of the church. He's painting a picture of us as a house. This is not just any house, and this certainly is not any human house. It's not even a building, because it is a people that make up the family of God himself. Paul uses the word members in verse number 19. We are members. They are and we are members of the household of God. He uses this word member in a different metaphor. In other parts of his writing, speaking of members of the body, body parts. The church is made up and and looked at as as a body, as a human body that has joints and has limbs that all must be operating flawlessly for the growth of that body for it to be healthy and vibrant here uses the word member in a totally different metaphor each church member represents an adopted child in the family of god through christ there's no class distinctions there's no tiered listing all stand equally as adopted sons and daughters in one family and the head of the family is god it says an immense amount of of weight when it comes to the life of Grace Church of the Valley. How is it that we could be the family of God and operate on our own wisdom when the father of this family has given us all that we need for life and godliness in his sufficient, perfect word? The father of this family has, in his wisdom, not left us without a teacher and guide, the spirit who indwells us as adopted sons and daughters awaiting the return of our king. Paul's point here is that within this family, both Jew and Gentile and any other distinction, join together, gather together with all of the same benefits that the others enjoy. Folks, the church and Grace Church of the Valley is to be a place where partiality does not exist. There is no assessment here. By external means. There should be no assessment. By class system. Or by skin color. Or by cultural background. We are defined. As kingdom citizens. Under God. Our king. We are defined as sons and daughters. Within the house. The family. Of God our father. Through Christ his son. And our head. The church is a specifically defined group of sinners. They're the ones who have been gathered for the glory of God through the work of Christ. To bring glory to his name. To make God famous and Christ exalted here on the earth until he returns. For the furtherance of his kingdom mission. Grace Church is a gathering of the people of God. Founded upon the New Testament word of God. And unified around the son of God. Third word picture. That we find in these final verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Grace Church of the Valley is is a gathering of God's kingdom citizens. It is a gathering of God's family members. And finally, Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of God's temple stones. Word picture change. 
The third word picture is a temple. And God, Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of God's temple stones. You say, where do you get that? Well, it's, it's a little bit difficult because Paul writes in really long sentences. Um, Kathy Morris is one of our faithful editors here at the church. And in fact, the article that you have in your bulletin, I write that article and I get it in by Wednesday to Jared and he sends it to the butcher, otherwise known as Kathy. All right. She hacks and cuts and she works through that and makes it so that you will enjoy reading it. All right. It's it's an act of love. It's a service of love. Paul, he didn't have an editor. He wrote in amazingly long sentences. In fact, in the first part of chapter two, verses one through seven, two sentences together. This man wrote with incredible connected thoughts, and he does that in verse 20, which makes it difficult for us to see at the end of verse 21 that the word picture has changed. He says that we are kingdom citizens, we're fellow citizens. He says that we're in the household of God, and then he switches pictures at the beginning of verse 20, but we don't find out about it until the end of 21, where we grow into a holy temple in the Lord. And this third picture is the one that he spends the most time discussing. We are moving with Paul as we examine this paragraph. We're moving from kingdom to the home and now to the temple. We're moving from allegiance to love and devotion. Now to the temple where worship takes place. Where the presence of God meets with the people of God. Grace Church is a gathering of God's temple stones. Say, why is why is that? I've never been really told that I was a stone before. I hope that's not a common way of talking about each other. I guess if we could call each other brother and sister, we could figure out a way to get this to work out in our vernacular as well. Then they would say things like, you know, if you go over to Central California, those people over there, they call each other stones. We won't do that. Okay? What is it about this temple that makes us stones in the temple? We are, in fact identified here as the structure itself, as parts of the structure of the temple. Notice what he says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together. That's the joining together. That's the whole structure. You and I make up the structure. Grace Church of the Valley is a gathering of the stones of the temple. It is not a gathering of the foundation of the temple. It is not a gathering of the cornerstone of the temple. Those are established. Those are immovable. Those are the same for each and every local expression of the church. But each and every believer here in the family at Grace Church represents a stone in the building of the temple of God. This is a profound word picture for us. And one that we are distanced again. We're distanced again by our context. We don't think of temples the way the Ephesian believers would have thought of a temple. They had a massive pagan temple in Ephesus. When Paul says you're the temple of God, they could, for all intent and purposes, look out their window and see a temple. We don't have that kind of experience. I don't know if you've ever been through Salt Lake City and seen 
the Mormon temple. That is as close as we come in our American context to temples. An edifice for the purpose of meeting God. That's why all temples exist, no matter how false the God is that supposedly is meeting in those places. So notice this human temple that is the church. It has a foundation. It has an established foundation. Described to us in verse number 20. Built on the foundation of and its people. Apostles and prophets. You say, how is it that people are the foundation of, of, of this temple? Of the church? I think it's appropriate for us to understand what is entailed in the titles Apostles and prophets. We're going to find those again. Chapter 4. God gave to the church. First apostles. Then prophets. Then evangelists. Then pastor teachers. You remember those distinctions. And each of these. Groupings of people. The apostles and the prophets. Represents instruction. Doctrine. Revelation. From God. To the people of God. In other words. The apostles and the prophets. And that is New Testament prophets. It's not flipped around, which would have meant Old Testament prophets. This is apostles, New Testament, prophets, New Testament, those who are gifted to reveal from God. These ones establish the foundation for the church. They're the foundation of Grace Church. They represent our New Testament scriptures given to us through the apostles and those gifted by God as prophets from God. Built on that foundation, which is immovable, which never changes, which has ceased to be laid. There are those who claim today to be prophets from God. And when they claim to be prophets, they are, according to verse number 20, claiming to be in the ongoing act of laying the foundation of the temple of God, which is the church. But in verse number 20... Notice that the foundation is already established. You see, the verb that's used here for built is having been built. The building has already started. This is a passive, past tense idea. That means someone else is doing it. And that's God. He's building on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It is static and the building is growing on that static foundation. We could spend much, much longer unpacking that concept, but we must move on. And it is a joyful moving on in verse number 20. Not only is the foundation laid by the instruction, by the revelation given through the apostles and prophets, but Christ, that is Messiah, Jesus himself, that is an emphatic word Paul used. Christ Jesus himself, as in no one else, being the corner stone so we've seen the foundation is the new testament scriptures given to us through the apostles and the prophets the cornerstone is jesus christ himself singularly the picture of a cornerstone i know for many of you you have some kind of agri or you have architectural background at some level and you understand the idea of a cornerstone in the temples the three temples that israel enjoyed there were multiple cornerstones. That's why Paul designates Jesus Christ as the chief 
cornerstone. He is the centerpiece that if it is pulled out, the entire structure becomes imbalanced. The point of Jesus being identified as the cornerstone of Grace Church of the Valley, a gathering of God's temple stones, is that he is the unifying factor. He is the basis upon which everything that is built is built. He is the basis upon everything that stands, stands. Jesus Christ himself, the person and work of Messiah Jesus from Nazareth, is the centerpiece of Grace Church of the Valley. His gospel is the unifying song of Grace Church of the Valley. And has been of every Christian church, even back to Ephesus. Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, the chief centerpiece, the unity and the stability of the temple. The local expression of which we enjoy here at Grace Church of the Valley. Now the structure. The structure is you and the structure is me. We are the structure. Who are we? We're a gathering of God's temple structure. The stones that make up this temple. Notice verse 21. In whom the whole structure, that is every believer, every Every believing member of Grace Church of the Valley is a part of the structure of God's temple, which is being joined together. And it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice the centrality of Christ in the church. Notice this just in this last word picture. Obviously, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. But then in verse number 21, we find that this temple is growing up in the Lord. This is the dwelling place of this temple is in the Lord. He is the all and in all. Verse 22, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Christ is the beginning, middle and end of all that the church is. The structure represents the life of the body, the temple being built together. This is a strong implication for us that we're going to develop over the next couple of weeks. But there is nothing about the church that is individual. It's all corporate. It's all together. It's all one another. And each local expression is to operate with the full ideal of a life together. It is not a place that we go to learn together. There are meetings for us where we learn together, but then we go and we live together as the church. Fellow citizens, brothers and sisters, and stones in the temple that is being erected for the glory of God. Now, notice the end of verse 22, and we can't leave this temple imagery without addressing this part of verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a, there's a lot going on in that little phrase. Dwelling place for God By the spirit. This is another contrast for the Apostle Paul as he contrasts the Old Testament physical temple, the physical building that could be seen where there was a holy of holies, where the Shekinah glory of God would come and the high priest could actually engage with the Shekinah glory. And go from there and provide covering for the people of Israel, there would no longer be. At the coming of Christ, there would no longer be a physical temple 
where Shekinah glory came to the Holy of Holies. At the cross, you remember, there was a great event at the end of the crucifixion. One that we don't talk about enough. There was a curtain that ripped from top to bottom. And in that moment, when the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the population that inhabited that temple, when it was ripped from top to bottom, the division between God and His his people was torn away. No longer could only the high priest go with a rope tied around him, with bells on his clothes, so that if he took sin into the presence of God, he could be drug out by the rope. No longer. Now Christ had torn away that division, and now the church is the, the new structure where God's presence dwells. And how does it dwell? The end of verse 22 tells us, by the Spirit. In other words, when the gathering of God's temple stones comes together, there is a gathering of individuals who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The very presence of God is known in the people of God individually. And when they gather together, it is as a temple erected holy in the Lord by the Spirit, God's dwelling place on earth. There is no more building. There is no place to go to meet God. Through Christ, through Christ, the citizens of the kingdom, the members of the family, and the stones of the temple enjoy the presence and dwelling of God by His Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is an enormous encouragement to us as followers of Christ. I went back last night and I read John 14. I tried to I tried to get back to the context of John 14, where those disciples were terrified. Jesus just told them he was going to die. What's going to happen? You're the Messiah. How are we supposed to go on? My father will not leave you as orphans. There will be a helper. There will be a comforter who comes and he'll guide you in the truth. That's the Spirit of God that establishes us as a gathering, as a dwelling place for God by that Holy Spirit. It's a structure of doctrine and people, not wood and stone. Christ is the centerpiece, and this temple is growing up until it is completed, till the last stone is placed in the temple. That is, the last person is rescued from their sin. Brought to a relationship that has changed from stranger to friend, from alien to family member, from outcast to temple stone. Grace Church is defined by the Bible. It's defined by the God of this church. It's defined by the words from that God on the page here in front of us in Ephesians chapter 2. Grace Church is a gathering of the people of God founded upon the New Testament Word of God and unified around the Son of God. This is our identity. And this has implications for us. So let's finish our time by asking, so what? And that's an appropriate question. So what? So this is our identity. What does that mean for the church life at Grace Church? Well, let me give you a few things that come to mind immediately when we 
finish this paragraph. If those through those three word pictures are the truth about us as a group, then here are some implications. Number one, church membership or church partnership and that process guards this definition of the church. It guards it. Because we do believe that the identity of Grace Church of the Valley must be that it is the people of God founded upon the New Testament word of God and unified around the Son of God. That means we have to guard the front door. And in our day and age where any and everyone can say, I'm a Christian, the membership process allows us to ask questions that clarify one's understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and commitment to it. So a identifiable membership guards this definition of the church. It's one of the reasons that we are committed to an identifiable membership here at Grace Church. We'll talk about that more as the weeks go by. Number two, church discipline. Church discipline guards this definition of the church from within. So church membership guards this definition at the front door to say, This is a gathering of God's people founded upon the New Testament word of God and unified around the son of God. And here at the front door, we as shepherds say this flock is identified by these truths. Discipline is from the inside. And as under shepherds, under the head of Christ, overseeing his flock, loving and caring and serving his flock, we must then also say sin will not be tolerated within this flock because that would defy that definition if the flock is the people of god founded upon the word of god unified around the son of god then sin cannot go unchecked therefore church discipline and its processes from matthew chapter 18 galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 they that that process guards the church from redefinition we're committed to that so we're committed to church membership At the front door. And for the sake of the picture. We're committed to church discipline. Out the back door. These are two commitments that flow directly from God defining this church. Not our own wisdom. And definition. Number three. Church meetings. Like what we're doing right now. And church priorities. As in what our vision is. Must be informed by this definition. In other words. When we meet together. We meet together as the people of God unified around the Son of God and founded upon the Word of God. That's that's what we are when we meet together. That informs us. We do not meet together for the purpose of making those who are not the people of God comfortable in our presence. We meet together to worship as the people of God. Those who are here with us who are not the people of God should be astonished at what they see through the love of the brothers for one another and the devotion to Jesus Christ. Therefore, this definition from God must inform the meetings of Grace Church of the Valley. Okay? This is all about our philosophy of ministry. We are a Christian church. That means when we meet together, we meet together as Christians under Christ. We give ourselves to His Word. And we celebrate the centrality of Jesus Christ in all of our meetings together. We scatter from these meetings To take the gospel of that Lord Jesus Christ to all who do not know him. Number four. Finally. Fourth implication from these three word pictures. Evangelism. 
Evangelism is the natural overflow of those who grasp their radically altered position with Christ. Let me say that again. Evangelism is the natural overflow of those who truly grasp their radically altered position with Christ. So, this definition that's given to us in these three word pictures, it does inform what we do when we meet together. It does inform how we meet together and what our priorities are as a ministry, what we represent as a church, but it also informs how we relate to the world around us. Evangelism, the spread of the gospel of the kingdom, is the natural overflow of those who truly grasp that they were strangers and now they are brought near. They were outcast and now they're recipients of the promises and the affections of the family. And that they are outside of the bounds of the promises of God, brought in as stones in the temple where worship takes place through the Spirit of God. I mean, those who get this, those who read Ephesians 1 and read Ephesians 2 and are gripped by what God has done through the gospel in their hearts. Evangelism flows right out of this, brothers and sisters. It's great to be trained for evangelism. It's great to memorize passages for evangelism. But nothing is more beneficial to boldness, courage, love, and compassion for lost people than a clearer and clearer grasp of the gospel in our own lives. So, who are we? And what are we all about? Well, today I trust Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22 has informed you that we are a gathering of the people of God founded upon the Word of God, unified by and around the Son of God. Father, thank you for this text and for this study. We have certainly not probed all that you have for us in this paragraph or in this section or in this letter. And yet we have been we've been reintroduced to our identity. Your word through your spirit's power places in front of us a clear definition of who we are as a church. And who we are as a church informs how we operate as a church and how we relate to one another as a church. It informs how we love those from other local expressions of your church. This informs us and we are grateful for the information, for the renewing of our mind. So that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We're thankful for this paragraph because it informs us in a way that that builds within us a desire to spread this message of transformation through Christ. To see the temple completed, a holy temple in the Lord, being built up into a dwelling place for you, Father, through your Spirit. What a powerful picture. We are overwhelmed that through the cross and the the bloody sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, through the empty tomb which we remember on this first day of the week, that through those realities, these three word pictures define us. No one could have imagined that we would be considered citizens of your kingdom. 
Gentiles, born in the nature of Adam, sinners by nature and by choice. Enemies of your name and enemies of your glory. You brought us near by the blood of Christ. Who would have imagined that we would be your family, that you would adopt us, your soiled creation? What you have created for your own praise and glory, living in rebellion and sin against you. And yet through Christ, the cornerstone, you've brought us near. You've made us sons and daughters. Who would have imagined that the temple would be made up of people, stones, centered upon, unified around the cornerstone, your son, who is at your right hand, and our Savior, who is our mediator, who is our in-between with you. The one whose perfect life is our righteousness. The one whose death is our death. And the one whose eternal life has granted us eternal life. This is the miracle of your grace. Teach us to be overwhelmed again, we pray. In the name of that Christ. And for his glory's sake, amen.